0: Get used to the mantra, all gas, no break. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson at Will Paul 11 on Twitter, joined by a special guest today, Lindsay Rhodes of NFL Network at Lindsay Rhodes NFL on Instagram, Lindy, Lindsay underscore Rhodes, uh on Twitter, and then host of the NFL Roadshow, um, her new podcast, which is something you guys should all go check out. She's got a great desk lined up and kind of makes you a smarter football fan. I know that's something you've talked about. So how you doing today, Lindsay?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, very excited. We got some we got some USC uh USC connection here. So I'm pretty excited to Yeah, you know, I love unbi- unbiased Trojans. <laughs> um but it's yeah, a no, fun guess- time
1: for us. We get to like cheer on a basketball team. Yeah, I know uh, Evan deep into good. March He's for be the really first time good. in a long time.
0: I'm excited to uh, hopefully get a nice upset against Zag would be very ideal. Um, just to <laughs> kind of have that crossed. set up. But um, how's everything uh, going from you know an off season perspective? I know things are very busy and um, you know it's it's an exciting time. I feel like as a football fan and someone who covers the NFL.
1: Yeah, it's a fun off season. I don't I don't know if that's just it. Feels like it's a really fun off season. And for me, the thing that jumps out at me is that. I feel like there are more quarterback needy teams than I remember there being in, you know, a number of years. So like I did a list right at the end of the season of teams that could potentially go get a quarterback. And there were way more that fit into that category than teams that absolutely would not make a move at quarterback. And there are obviously teams that kind of fit into the category of like could make a move because their quarterback could be upgraded, but they're actually not realistically going to, but um, But I think that that opens up a whole bunch of different possibilities to discuss, and it's been really fun to kind of watch the moving parts and what's happened in free agency. And then, you know, we went through a wave of like the whole Russell Wilson, will he be traded and Deshaun Watson before all of this crazy stuff came forward that he's dealing with now that kind of took that possible trade off the table and then the draft and, I don't know. It's just fun because that changes everything, right? Like you, you move, you start moving quarterbacks around and you're talking about totally different fates (laughs) for football teams. And so uh, I've had a really good time this off season. I think it's been just a blast.
0: Yeah, we just haven't really seen this number of – this level of quarterback. You know, the Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson stuff was a huge talking point for a couple months there, and Russ, I guess, somewhat still is, but feels very unrealistic. And then Deshaun's a whole nother can of worms that yeah. I, quite frankly, don't want to touch because I don't have enough so, information. Um, we'll just yeah, wait until
1: no, it all comes out. Yeah, I just want right?
0: that's something that I'm not <laughs> – I've, I've yep. heard this from a couple of people shutting up is free. Like, I'm not going to comment on it until I have enough information to make my own judgment, but – um yep yeah no it's interesting to see the number of quarterbacks and there's a really great draft class it seems like um, a lot of pro days today Justin Fields and Matt Jones throwing and then you know you've got to Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson throwing the last couple of weeks so it's exciting from a Jets perspective of the quarterback yeah. situation you know and with the Jets we can kind of just touch on first I know it's tough with Sam everyone's kind of feels differently about you know his ceiling now in the NFL some people still believe he could be that top seven top eight guy some people kind of think he sucks. Some people think he's just going to be good. Um, do you think he could be successful theoretically in New York? And if not, which seems unlikely at this point, based on where they're picking, um, where are some spots you'd like to see him potentially win to bring out that 2017 Sam Darnold Rose bowl Penn state game.
1: Okay. So, um, two part, uh, I think, I think he could still be good in New York. I think that we have not seen we haven't watched Sam Darnold perform in an, in a in a good situation for him, right? Like, I think we all agree on that, that, you know, no offense, I know this is a Jets podcast. I think you guys would all agree that the last couple of years have been a bit of a dumpster fire in New York. I know we hate so, Adam,
0: yes, you could say okay. it.
1: Okay, <laughs> so you've moved on and it's looking optimistic and the rebuild is happening and we're all happy, right? But looking back, it's so easy to see that he hasn't been put in a position to succeed. So the fact that he hasn't succeeded is like, well, no duh. Like, I I don't, I don't know if there are quarterbacks who could have done much better in that situation, right? Who are game changers. You plug a Pat Mahomes into that situation and he's going to have played much better. Though we saw what even Pat Mahomes looks like without good offensive line play in the Super Bowl, it changed everything, right? He was still but at least he still had those flashes of like, we see it. So we haven't seen that as much from Sam Darnold, but without protection, without playmakers, without a offensive mind on the sideline that we all trust to put him in all the best plays. I just don't think it's fair to say like, done with that. And yes, we've seen some glimpses of like, ooh, I wish you hadn't made that throw. That hurts my argument when I defend you type of, but I just feel like, There are some quarterbacks who can cover up a multitude of sins and that's awesome. They're franchise quarterbacks and it's a for sure thing. And we know it right off the bat, but there are some quarterbacks that absolutely could be very good, but need to be in the right situation. And they need their wide receiver to be in the right spot at the right time, doing their job perfectly well and being on script. They need their coach to call the right plays and put the people in there. They need their offensive line to protect. I use David Carr all the time probably too much as an example of like that's a guy whose whole NFL career came and went and we have no idea we have no idea what he was or what he could have been because he was in such a bad situation and I just don't want that to happen for Sam you know I want to see him in a good situation so that then I can know if he's good or not I just don't know right now so what I think is a plausible option for the jets. And I think they could go one of two ways and I would not fault them either way. Like, I don't think either way is right or wrong. If they have a quarterback at number two, Zach Wilson, perhaps that they love that they think this guy's the next Peyton Manning, Patrick Mahomes, like name it right. Franchise quarterback. He's going to be the guy here in New York for a decade plus. And we love him then absolutely pull the trigger to go get that guy and put him in there and don't even think twice. But if you're not 100% sure, if there is a quarterback there and you're just taking a quarterback to take a quarterback, but you think maybe there's going to be a quarterback next year that's just as good, then I think there's an argument to be made for New York. And I know that Jets fans probably wouldn't love this because it's not as exciting and it doesn't feel like we're turning the pages quickly, but I think there's an argument to be made for building around Sam Darnold because I think you're not going to win anything next year. I think it's a building process. I think there are too many holes that still need to be plugged before you're going to compete in the AFC East and then in the AFC and then in a Super Bowl. So put those pieces around the quarterback first, then go plug in your rookie quarterback on a five-year deal on the cheap and then go make your run. I just think that that's a smart roster building strategy. So, Again, I think there's two ways you can go, and it just completely depends on how they feel about the quarterback that they would take at number two, and all signs seem to be pointing us to Zach Wilson going there. If they do take Zach Wilson, though, I think they have to trade Sam Darnold. I know there's been a new thing about maybe they keep them uh, both.
0: I, I really don't want to see that. I think it's bad for both guys, and quite yeah. frankly, Joe Douglas and Sam Darnold are the same agent. That's kind of a – it would be a disaster, in my opinion, would be, be very – I don't know. That's I think you're ruining Sam totally if you do that.
1: Well, and and not even just like whether or not he can handle the competition or pushing him, or but I think you're in a different situation than like the 49ers, for instance, right? I think it makes sense actually there to to keep Jimmy Garoppolo for a year and keep their uh, quarterback that they take at number three using three first round picks on on the bench for one year because of the virtual offseason and the difficulty in getting a rookie quarterback up to speed and hitting the ground running if you are a team that thinks that it can compete for a Super Bowl this season and I think that the Niners are built to go on a run I think that they legitimately think that they could win it all this year and I think that that's a valid thought there I don't think that that's the case in New York so it doesn't make sense to just say hey we're gonna put Sam in like for what for what you don't if If you're just placeholding there, then just get your rookie some experience. Let Sam, And then selfishly for the franchise, the trade value for Sam Darnold this offseason is going to be as high as it will ever be. If you put him back out there on the field next year, and then you have a reason to turn to your rookie quarterback because Sam Darnold's not playing well, well, you've lost all of the mystery surrounding Sam Darnold that is peak right now. There's a lot of people around the NFL, I would imagine, that are in the same place as me going... I don't know about Sam Darnold. Should we see? And you're not gonna, you're not gonna have to use that much capital in order to go get Sam Darnold, but it is as high as it will ever be this offseason because there's so many teams that are just gonna be desperate at the end of the draft. Like, are the Panthers gonna be left without a chair in this game of musical chairs at quarterback? In which case, make a deal with Carolina, send him there. But the first part of your question. Um, and sorry, I'm being long-winded. Um, oh no, it's fun. <laughs> you uh, you asked about where would be a good place for Sam Darnold, and I I like Denver, and I don't know if that would happen or if they would make that deal, I like but Denver I do Lock, think too. I think he's an upgrade from Drew Lock, um, and I think they have weapons there on offense. I think their defense is very good, so I think that it makes sense for them to go and try to use a little bit of capital money, whatever it takes, to go get somebody in they are in a position to potentially roll the dice on a Sam Darnold, knowing that it's potentially a short-term situation and that he just betters their chances of getting further this year, then I think that they could probably go with Drew Locke.
0: Yeah, I no, I agree out. on pretty much everything you said there. Um, you know, from a where could Sam could go perspective. I know Robert Mason mentioned this in the pot. Oh, if they hang on to him, I I was like kind of arguing, they kind of ruined his trade value. The second San Francisco traded up because there was still that doubt more. So do they keep Sam and, you know, trade back? And what could they get for that number two pick, which we now know was probably three ones and a a three potentially even more to go to two. Um, So that, that was like interesting for me. And I was like, Oh, I was arguing that part. And then he was like, take the Sam Bradford went situation. Uh, the Eagles, you know, trade up. For once, uh, I don't know, 2016 draft, they have a ton, pretty much the same with the Niners, just gave up, but they rolled with Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater, Terry's ACL and OTAs. Now they get a one in the three form. Or, um, you know, you look at other situations where Carolina, like you just mentioned, maybe they don't get a quarterback date because someone goes, it goes one, two, three, four in the draft and Atlanta takes a quarterback too. And all of a sudden now they're left with, do we take Mac Jones and over maybe overpay? Or um, so there's a lot of options. I just would like to see Sam in a situation where, he can have his confidence back. I feel like that's the biggest thing. He said he didn't lose his confidence. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, I just, know
1: how you could not lose your confidence. I, I, mean, I
0: played football my whole life. I played basketball. Like when you have a couple of bad games in a row, I lose my confidence, let alone you're in the New York market at 22 years old, 23 years old. So uh, well, Denver's, also yeah, it's tough.
1: Not being in a position to just trust. I mean, even though, you know, you say all the right things because you're a professional and you, you know what people expect you to hear, what they expect you to say, and they know that it it's their job, right? Like as a quarterback to kind of like take the blame and never to point a finger. And I like that he kind of just does that. But I also think it's reasonable to look at it and for some of the rest of us to point the finger and say like, I don't know if you actually need to take as much blame as you're willing to take on yourself. Like I like the leadership and the fact that you're willing to raise your hand and say my bad, even if it's not your bad. But I think that in, in this case, I just, I, I think like, look, as all I can relate to, I've never played football, but from a television standpoint, if I worked with a producer who constantly sent me in directions, I wasn't ready to go on the fly live, like, okay, go to such and such, what, who the fucker who, what, huh? Like, if I felt like I was always being put in a situation where our communication wasn't good, or they didn't understand that they shouldn't talk to me while I'm talking, things like that, put you in a position to not be the best you. So I think we can all relate to that in our own various lines of work. And I think that that's just so clearly been the case for Sam Darnold in the last couple of years. Um, and I'm sure there are people that would make arguments for Adam Gase. I just, I'm I'm not one of those people. I, I've I feel like I've i'd like to meet my those head about, about everything, everything. right, right I, know. I know i know apparently it's peyton manning and yeah. we have him to thank for all of this <laughs> I know. It's,
0: oh, it's thanks brutal. for that co it's funny like um i think denver to your point would be a good spot john elway really liked him um pre draft i mean john elway likes every six three white quarterback in- <laughs> <laughs> um no i think he likes sam coming out They've got weapons on the outside. Cortland Sutton will come back this year. They just drafted no f- fan. They've got, you know, good running back, Melvin Gordon. They've got people there they have got a good offensive line. The defense added a ton of pieces. Um, So I think that's a good spot in a division, quite frankly, that I don't really know what to expect. The Raiders seem like they're going in the wrong direction, even though last year they started off like pretty well. The Chargers, Herbert's really good, and they look like got the it. offensive line's getting better, but. So still the chargers. And I know the Jets fans could good. say the same thing. They just, it's tough to tell how good they're going to be. And then the chiefs, they did lose both starting tackles and their roster is like, it's going to be difficult to keep rebuilding. So if I was the Broncos, I'd go for it. I don't think it's going to cost you what it would have costed you mm-hmm. six months ago. Um, so, yeah, no, Sam's a, Sam's a polarizing person. And I know um, it's, it's difficult. Like I said, I'm emotionally attached to Sam because mm-hmm. of USC and the Jets and all this stuff. But at the same time, I do think at some level I'd like to just see him in a situation where I can be like, see, he's really good. Or like, yeah. no, I was wrong. Sam isn't that good. And yeah, pay, it's okay. If he's not, I just would like to be able to <laughs> yep. know that and not have 100%. to wonder. Um, I just so. want
1: him the chance to show us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd
0: like to see it. And I hope that, you know, and I'd like to see hopefully in two years, Keaton Silvis break the USC thing, but whatever, but that's a whole nother, it's a whole other topic. <laughs> but um, in terms of some of the Jets, you know, moves they've made, and you mentioned the rebuild, um, you know, from like a, maybe the most not such an obvious thing like where do you see them being able to improve most next year um maybe it's
1: based on think, the moves yeah. they have made yeah based on
0: the moves they have made just the coaching staff and like where are some things you'd like you think you'll be like all right I think they're going to be much better here and be more enjoyable to watch than.
1: so I mean the obvious answer is just on the defensive side of the ball with Salah and that being his focus and I think um uh, like so in a on a smaller level like but also very important I think kind of low-key everywhere in the sense that I feel like they have an adult in the room in Robert Sala like I we don't know what he's going to be like as a head coach but his personality his vibe the way that the players love him but it's not because he's like a player's coach like all rah rah like there's a respect level there he's kind of figured out that way to communicate with today's athlete I feel
0: see like he's, he's grown up I do feel like he's a grown-up like yes when he talks to you like eye contact I know it sounds so weird but like the eye contact like in a suit and tie like professional voice like connecting with you it's not like hat down literally with the weird eyes and the whole thing I don't know well
1: and I I had been told by people that I wasn't sure that I uh, trusted to be honest about it because everybody has relationships that they're you know trying to protect about Adam Gase that like that the awkwardness that we saw wasn't what some of the players saw and that he was better one-on-one and that the, you know, but, uh, but I was like, also, what are you going to say? You know, like, no, he really is. It's super weird and all of these things. But uh, I remember Charles Davis talking about Kevin Stefanski that way in Cleveland. And he used the word grown up, and it really clicked with me and it resonated. Cause I was like, that is a big difference, right? Like we talk about all these different leadership traits and it's like, when you just feel confident that the person sitting in that chair, there isn't a big question mark surrounding them for whatever reason. Um, It just feels like better. Like I trust you to do this. Now go do this. And that doesn't mean that it'll work out, but I feel that way about Robert Sala. Um, And I don't know him personally. It's just from what everybody says and what I see, I feel confident. Like, yes, this is a good decision and let's see what he can do uh, in terms of building a team and, but to go back to your question, obviously the defense, I expect to be much improved. Um, I think that the signings on the defensive line are, those are probably the ones that stand out to me the most. Um, some of the signings on the offensive side of the ball, I think are are good under the circumstances of what was available. And assuming that you're going to kind of put some pieces around it in the draft too, and that there's more work to be done. I don't know if Corey Davis is a one personally, Maybe that's just because we haven't really seen it, you know, Uh, so maybe he will be, but I also don't know if it's super important that you have a one as long as you have wide receivers who complement one another and like you've got someone who can stretch the defense and you've got someone who can be, you know, like a check down safety blanket type guy like so I like the way that the wide receivers, the way that they're constructed together, kind of complement one another with Corey Davis and Denzel Mims and then, you know, Crowder in the slot. And like, so I, I do like some of the pieces there on the offensive side of the ball. I think that they maybe have a little bit of work to do there still. Um, but I, I like what they did up front on the defensive line. Um, so I, I would say that that's probably where I see the biggest improvement in um, uh, I, I I think it'll probably be there as as it's constructed right now.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say it's obviously tough with the draft, and there's some that tier two, tier three guys in free agency. There's a lot of corners out there, and that's a position of need. um Interior yeah. offensive lines, kind of a disaster But at the same time, you could have a really great draft and solve that in yep. the course of 24 hours. So yeah, I think they're gonna be much improved. i It's hard because the schedule should be much easier uh, for the Jets' perspective last year. The schedule combining with the fact that the team wasn't very good the schedule was bad like really difficult and no fans for a team that relies heavily yeah. upon home field I feel like I know just like Jets fans are oh you know MetLife's not the best stadium in the whole nine yards but I do think the passion of the fans and I don't know if you noticed this last year but I noticed bad teams were like really bad because normally if you go down earlier you get up on a seven nothing on a you know you're playing the Jets are playing Buffalo last year and they're up 10 nothing at home there's a the crowd there all of a sudden there's this energy you kind of don't let it loop. you don't let it drop and with mm-hmm. no crowd it gave these good teams a hell of a lot more talent i felt like they were able to take over and that's why you watch the best teams kind of rise to the yeah. top i felt like
1: i also felt like there were a few games and none that are coming to mind specifically as examples but there were a few games where i thought i saw some of the best teams sort of struggle um for the reasons that we would normally point to like, oh, it's hard to get up to play that team because you can't even brainwash yourself into thinking that they have a chance because you're so much better than them. And without that crowd to vibe off of, and like, I mean, I've talked to a ton of players who have said, uh, it was always tough for me to play like James Jones, should I say, was it James Jones? Maybe I shouldn't attach his name to it. But I think it was James. Anyway, somebody said, like, oh, it's so hard to play in Detroit. You know, it was always hard for him to play in Detroit because you'd go in and they would A, be bad and you'd have to like kind of do that mental ninja stuff. And then you'd go in and it would be silent. And so it was like, you just, it was like impossible to get up to play them. And that made it much more complicated and the game sometimes closer than they should be. And I remember seeing that sometimes to affect some of the best teams in the league where I I thought about that
0: chiefs. I don't know if you remember this, The chiefs, I think chiefs Falcons game, it was like late in the year. And the chiefs were still trying to get the one seed. And it was like, I don't know what happened. It was like, they couldn't score. And everyone was like, Mm Atlanta's bad like why can't they Dude, beat this team
1: the Chiefs down the stretch messed with all of us right like because we were like I don't know can you just turn it on in the playoffs and then the answer for them was very much yes yes you can just turn it on in the playoffs when you have that type of talent apparently
0: yeah so as long as
1: your tackles don't get hurt yeah as good. long as you
0: don't lose your whole offensive line against you <laughs> know or in football in the biggest game of the year it. in the home game but um who maybe from like any general, you know, any team who is maybe your one favorite move you've seen so far it could be quarterback, anybody, um, either signing or trade. Um, and then who's maybe somebody you were like, that eh, doesn't make a lot of sense. Like me personally, I've talked about this before. I love the Stafford LA move. I just think he's somebody I think he's an awesome. Oh, yeah. And I, I think too. he's super talented and him and McVeigh together, comparatively, no offense to Jared Goff. I just think there's so much more there from an arm perspective. Um, and then move I didn't love. I don't love Matt Judon of the Patriots. I think he's a good player, uh-huh. but most of his sacks were unblocked sacks last year. And it, and I don't think he had one against a team above 500. And it feels like as good as Belichick is just to pay 14 or 15 million for somebody that is good. I just don't know that he moves the needle to make them better than Buffalo. So those are my two moves that I was like, I love or didn't really love.
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, my brain went to mush as soon as you said that. Cause it's like, I feel like there's, there's so many,
0: there's been 12,000 moves. I'm just
1: like thinking about all the moves, which one did I like? Which one did I not like? Um, I loved, so not to just piggyback off of yours, though. I'm going to piggyback off of yours. I really liked the Stafford move to LA. And I, um, I know that there were some people that thought that they gave up too much. I think if you can get a quarterback, if you can upgrade your quarterback position and you think that you have a team that is built to go to a super bowl and clearly they do like, uh, the way that they played last year in the postseason, the way that that defense was playing and you can't count on them to play at the same level defensively as they did last year. We don't know if it'll like, we'll just pick up right where they left off. But I think that um, that they are a team that could make some noise. And I do think that Jared Goff was a bit of a liability at the position. And um, I think as soon as you recognize that, if you're Sean McVay and Les Sneed, then anything you can do to upgrade the position is what you absolutely should do. And, you know, you'll figure it out later. And they've been really good too at Like figuring out, you know, undrafted free agent talent and some of those guys later in the draft. So the fact that they don't have these ones moving down the road, I think that, that they've proven that they can, they can figure that out. Maybe it'll catch up to them down the road. That's possible. But I also think if you can, you know, go make a, a run, maybe even win a couple of Super Bowls or at least be in the mix, give yourself a chance. Then, um, then you'll take that. You'll take the figure it out later. Um, but I do think that Matt Stafford upgrades them tremendously. I think um, I've been confused about some of the Raiders' moves. Um, like you said earlier, when you were talking about the the division and them looking like they're taking a step backward, I I don't know what to make of some of the stuff that's going on there. And I and I would really like to understand it. I am willing to at some point and this is a total my bias inserting itself right like I Mike Mayock is a good friend of mine so I, all,
0: I like Mayock a lot I used to love him on draft coverage
1: he's so he was so good and it's because he's so like I'll, I'll tell you from working with him he does not care about the tv stuff like he does not he really just wants to sit in a room all day long and watch film and talk to other people who want to lock themselves in rooms and watch film. Like those are his people are the real football nerds, you know, like he is in the weeds. He is exactly what you would want your general manager to be in terms of evaluating talent and scouting talent. And I don't know why sometimes that doesn't play out in that way in terms of those draft picks hitting though. I will say everyone has that happen to them, you know? So it's, it's obviously heightened when you have a few first round picks and then a couple of them don't pan out. Um, but I, but I'm a big fan of his. So I, I'm wary about saying like writing them off and I assume that there is a plan there, right? I just don't see it. I don't see what the plan is. And it feels a little bit like, you know, uh, I've used the analogy, like building sandcastles too close to the, to the shore. Like they're like working on one position group and we're building up this part of our roster and using our resources here. And then before we can get to the next part, the waves have already come and washed it away. And so I feel like they're having to like rebuild some of the areas that they have already rebuilt that I have in my head been like, okay, so now they're good at this position and now we'll move on to this position. And, and then you're like, wait, what, what are we doing on the offensive line? We're redoing it. Like that was, that was the one I felt okay about, like, what are you doing? So some of the moves that they've made there have been the ones that I've reacted to the most emotionally when I've heard about them. Um, my brother is a huge Raiders fan. So I am kind of like Raider fan adjacent. And, um, and so I think maybe that's partially why I've been focused there, plus my relationship with Mayock. But, you know, I want, I want it all. And then also, you know, David Carr is a friend of mine. And so I kind of like root for Derek to kind of like Sam Darnold be in a situation where we can see what he can do. So people will stop like pointing the finger at him as if everything is his fault. I feel similarly about David. I just want him to have those pieces around him so we can see him be him, you know?
0: Yeah. The Raiders are, the Raiders are weird because I felt like the offensive line was a position of strength. And then like, even the moves didn't make a whole lot of sense from a cap perspective. It felt like they're eating money to sign like, I don't love Kenyon Drake. I think he's an okay. He's a nice player in the right situation. He's a luxury guy, but to pay Rodney Hudson or pay Kenyon Drake feels like I'd much rather pay that Pro Bowl level center guard than pay a running right. back who's going to back up your first round pick from two years ago.
1: So then I guess the you know the thought there is that they think that they have a center you know already on the roster who's younger who we haven't seen and if they think that he's better, then we're not in a position to know that because we're not out there at practice. We don't know what the guy who's not playing actually looks like. So maybe that's a brilliant call. Although I don't think that the way that it was handled was all that brilliant. You know, the fact that it, and I don't know that that's their fault, that it came out that they were gonna cut him um, prior to attempting to trade him. It felt like that was all backwards. Like it looked bad, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was bad because maybe they were making all those trade calls prior and they had no intention of cutting him, you know, but it looked like, oh, wait, we're going to cut him. Wait, everyone wants him. Oh, let's make some phone calls. So it looks bad. That doesn't mean it is bad again, but just, you know, I wish that some of that stuff would get cleaned up.
0: Yeah. I also don't know what the Raiders, how much is Gruden, how much is Mayock, how much is, the Davis family stepping in. So they're like just like a challenging thing to figure out. The only other team I want to mention that I have, I'm a little, I don't know what to make of the Steelers. I just feel like they were really good last year and then Mm. they were really bad. And like, I'm not trying to bash big Ben. I think he's a hall of famer and he's great and all that stuff. But like the offense was not good at the end of the year. And like, you can't have your 40 year old quarterback who doesn't, who's for four years said, I'm going to retire. And I don't work out throwing Mm -hmm. 70 times in a playoff game. Sure. If I'm going to be consistent, we bash Cam Newton. I bash Cam Newton. I'm sure pretty much the whole media did in the Super Bowl when he didn't hop on that fumble. And then Big Ben did the exact same thing in the playoff game. And it was like, oh, whatever. You know, maybe I'll retire. I don't know. And it's like they bring back Juju and I love him. And I wish he would have came to the Jets, but uh, kind of just like stuck where they were. And then they lost like death pieces around. And it just feels like the division's getting better and better. Baltimore's really good. Cleveland's yeah. really good. Yeah. How exciting
1: is that to say?
0: Right, exactly because for the NFL, I like the what or, the Browns or whatever. But like, I just it's Pittsburgh's weird. Like, I feel like this was the year to move on. They could have brought in a young quarterback, kind of reset everything, and he's gone through this young core. And now it's like we have to pay all our good guys, and then the rest of the guys are. Leave. I don't know. They're just they're weird.
1: I I agree. I I hated the um Big Ben deal. I don't I don't like the idea of them bringing him back. I would have preferred to go to a bridge, even like you know. I don't know if
0: Sam was a good fit there initially. uh,
1: Yeah, you know, or even like a at the at that time, like maybe a Ryan Fitzpatrick, or you know, because the thing about Ryan Fitzpatrick as an older quarterback versus Ben Roethlisberger as an older quarterback is that Ben is still slinging it. I mean, no, uh, vice versa. Ryan is still slinging it like Ben toward the end of the year. It felt like, you know, he couldn't push the ball downfield and defenses could adjust. And as we saw with Drew Brees last year, I don't know what you do with that. You know that that's problematic. And so I get that there are a lot of other things that he can do well because of his experience and he can put them in the right situations but I just think that especially with one more year for defenses to key in on what appear to be his inadequacies at this point in his career I think that that's problematic for the Steelers I think that um that they would have been better served plugging in Orion Fitzpatrick or something like maybe they didn't think that that was gonna happen or didn't make sense for them for one reason or another they're picking 24th in the draft I don't know how they would move up to get one of the guys. So maybe they just sort of looked further down the path than just is big Ben our best option. And they said, we don't have another option. So we're going to go with Ben for another year, maybe. Um, So, uh, you know, giving that front office a little bit of credit that they're not just like, yeah, Big Ben, let's run it back. That's our best option. Maybe he just was their best option because they were limited, they were handcuffed in other ways. But I don't love the idea of Ben Roethlisberger coming back and then all of a sudden making a run at a Super Bowl. I don't think that that's realistic. I think that it kind of holds you back. In fact. The the bummer of their situation though is that they have such a good defense, right? And they do have some pieces there where like if you plugged in like a piece here and a piece there, like they could go make a run if they were the right pieces. Um, and I think that that makes them feel like maybe you're better off with that guy than just totally rolling the dice on somebody that you don't know what you're dealing with and you don't know what deficiencies are gonna pop up. Maybe I didn't love the, I didn't like the juju resigning and I, I want to, you know, he's a Trojan fight on juju, but I haven't seen enough from him to, I feel like I would have liked him to just go somewhere else and fit in. It didn't seem like money well spent for a team that doesn't have tons and tons of money already in Pittsburgh to spend $8 million. I think it was on him when you have Claypool and, uh Deontay and like you just you have other wide receiver options there it felt like anyone who plays fantasy knows that there was like a, a log jam there wide receiver last year so do you do you need Juju or could you have you know insert someone in there to do what you want him to do or what he's likely to do for you at a lower price than that
0: yeah the big band So like the playoff game was like 47 to 68 and everyone was like oh he's 500 yards like cool he threw 70 times and they played prevent defense the whole like that doesn't that wasn't like an indicator he was good it was actually the opposite like right there were a ton, and like they they, yards they, per,
1: they didn't per, run the ball like it wasn't even like that was just a concerted like we are not built to run the ball right now so we're not going to so the 68 500 yards that doesn't mean anything
0: no Kyle's talk, Kyle Brand's talked about this a bunch I've talked to him about it a bunch that like He's like, I'd like to see them run the ball, like maybe maybe run it on first down and just see if you could get a few yards. Like that's the Steelers people watch for 50 years. And yeah, no, I agree. The Juju thing was, I know Kevin Clark talked about this, but he was like, why the chiefs were interested in like, we're going to pay him more money. Like that would have been a great spot for Juju just him and Kelsey. You can just run in the middle of the field. You rebuild your brand in a year, you're 25 off a great year and like the cap resets Mm. and you can totally change your image. And instead it's like, you go back to Pittsburgh and you, you and Chase Claypool, TikTok. And that's great. And like,
1: I don't right hate yeah, we're going
0: to go back to that. Good for you. You build it. You're building your brand. Like I have a TikTok and I'm not going to tell people not to, but at the same time, I think some people were weary of it. Right. So yeah. Just reading the room a little bit, but you know, I don't want to bash the CEOs too much. I just don't think, I think they got worse by doing pretty much nothing. They kind of just brought back the same team and it's like, there was a they, reason they started declining
1: they delay, like Mike Tannenbaum has said this about them they're just delaying the inevitable like they're delaying getting better so go get that quarterback plug him in like every minute that you stay with and I'm stealing this from Tannenbaum every minute you stay with Big Ben is a minute you're not getting better as a football team and they're a good football team so just go like do it you know
0: yeah, no, I agree with you. And I guess, well, uh, we can switch gears a little bit to kind of your career a little bit. Let's, you know, talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of your work in FL network. How did, like, I guess we could start from A, like how did football become a passion of yours and, you know, kind of what made you want to work mm-hmm. in football? And then what's been maybe your favorite part? Um, and it's a lot of stuff, so it's going to be hard. <laughs> to one thing. But when, what's been one thing that's been the biggest challenge to kind of be able to continue to build your brand as not just being like on TV, but like, I know what I'm talking about. Like, it doesn't matter what gender I am, I can crush it.
1: Well, the, the, it's funny because, you know, building the, like, I know what I'm talking about thing is it's, it's been a constant evolution because, you know, early in my career, obviously I didn't play football. Right. Well, I guess that's less obvious these days. A lot of women do play football. And so, but in my case, I did not play football. And so getting into this as a reporter, it was like having insecurities surrounding the fact that like someone might not take me seriously. And then especially back then when there were fewer females and it felt like there was a need to be defensive to a degree about like, I am not here to date the athletes. Like that is not what my intention is. I am here to, I mean, it feels so stupid that it's even necessary to say, but it felt very necessary to project, especially then. And, and still to, to a degree now, right? But um, so it felt like decision making and uh, about like how I dressed and how I interacted and whether I was you know friendly, like you want to be friendly to build relationships as a reporter, but then you don't want to be too friendly and be seen one-on-one talking to someone for too long. And like, so there's all these mental gymnastics that you have to go through in order to be taken seriously as a credible authoritative person. Um, that also doesn't take themselves too seriously to the point where you're like, Oh, that chick has a stick up her, you know, but like, it's like, so it's just this weird fine line that you have to do. But, but my primary insecurity was like, I wanted to be taken seriously. And so I felt like I needed to work and constantly show that I knew what I was talking about and that I was there for the right reasons to steal a bachelor um, quote. So I, just like researched all the time. One of the things that I did early on that I think actually is something that I tell people now do not do this is I would like insert all of this information into my questions. And it just screams insecurity to me. Now, when I see other people do it, it's like stat, 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 stat. I know this, I know this, I know this now question, you know, because I constantly wanted to be like, I've done so much work and I know so much about this team. And now I'm going to ask you about it. You have to take me seriously. So- that's a bummer of a defensive layer that I think a lot of people have, but primarily a lot of women have, especially when they're younger because they feel like they have to prove it early on. Um, And then as my career has gone on, I have felt less and less like that. I think because the more, as you build your brand, you get to a point where you're a little bit confident in saying um, I think people know that now about me. And so I think I can lay off trying to prove it all the time and then weirdly, the less that you try to prove it, the more that your confidence comes through and people do make the assumption that you know what you're talking about. Like authority is the most important thing to project in terms of you know, reporting or broadcasting and stuff. So um, I have found that to be doubly beneficial. But I, I think also um, I've realized, uh, uh, I've been in a lot of meetings with a lot of athletes and former general managers and former coaches and things like that. And, and you get to a point where you realize like, oh, I wish that I'd started asking questions or saying things that I thought or observed a long time ago, because now I'm realizing that my observations were valid. I was just dealing with all these insecurities of like, I never played. So maybe that's a stupid thing to say or a stupid thing to observe, but it's probably what somebody out there in the audience is also thinking or observing or, And that makes it a valid thing to at least bring up and discuss, you know? So the fact that you are coming at it from a different perspective is helpful to the audience. That's actually one of the strengths that I have going for me now is that I can sit there and go, wait, I don't know what you're talking about. When you say such and such, what do you mean by that? And then let them clarify. There's inevitably someone, probably a large number of people in the audience that needed that clarified and and I'm at a point where I'm like, I've been around this for 20 years. So if I need something clarified, pretty confident a lot of people do too, because, you know, I I'm confident in what I do know. So now I can be confident about the things I don't know. And I think that that's a really important takeaway for just everybody in life. Like if you do the research, so you feel confident knowing what the conversation is, then go ahead and raise your hand and ask that question, you know, and know that, that's where there are no stupid questions. Like, yes, there are stupid questions if you don't show respect to the thing that's happening and you just come out of left field and ask something that everyone should know if you're paying attention and showing the proper degree of respect. But if you are doing those things, then any question's valid and go for it. So, um, now I'm just like all over the place I don't no, even know you're where no, you're it. I feel
0: like I just I noticed that too a lot of times with people and I'm sure I do it myself or anybody does it. whenever you're trying to like you want to make sure people know you know what you're talking about mm-hmm. it's hard sometimes to get find that balance of do I talk about myself do I talk about what I know do I talk about x y and z and it's like why am I thinking out of my head now I'm totally like in my own, you know, now you're in your own head, you're kind of ruining your own confidence, but no, I just, I just think that's, we've got a
1: nice conversational dynamic. I like the way that you've been doing it because sometimes, sometimes what happens too is especially when you're, when you're new, right. At like interviewing, you have a list of questions in your mind and then you, it doesn't matter what the other person says, because you're thinking of your next question, right. So you're not listening, which is the most important skill when it comes to interviewing. And so, Uh, you the person you're interviewing could say something super interesting and there's no follow up because you're not listening you're like oh okay and my next question is uh what was it like going to usc and so um but but it all comes with experience and I, i think to to the point of having confidence in terms of saying what i think too that's been a really interesting transition to having this podcast that i have because when I came up in television, you were, it was like journalism with capital J. And I talked about how my priority was to be credible and authoritative and to be taken seriously. Like I wasn't somebody who wanted to, when I first started out, be in a personality driven lane. I wanted to be, you know, Hannah Storm at the NBA on NBC desk, right? Like that was what I was aiming for. And so you make choices based on that. And the journalism mantra then was you are not the story. My opinion never mattered. Like that was what I always thought. I'm a reporter. I, my job is here. I'm here to tell you what they think. And so I would deflect questions about what I thought about it. I would, you know, just like push it all away. And I never even trained myself to have an opinion, which is a weird thing to say because you think everyone has an opinion. But if you're not thinking about what do I think about all this stuff, you're just constantly taking in, okay, here's what Pete Carroll says. And here's what like at the time I was covering USC football and here's what Matt Leinart thinks. And here's what this person, a scout that I talked to, here's what they think. And you're consolidating all these these opinions, other people's opinions. And then you're projecting that that's what your report is. Here's what everyone else thinks and says. And now we're shifting. The whole industry is shifting. Everyone has an opinion and that's valid. And obviously there are lanes still, right? Like you don't want Adam Schefter constantly going, uh, here is the news and here's what I think about it. You know, like you just want some people to just be like, here's the news. But I think that there are more opportunities and lanes opening up for people like myself to have a conversation and say, I'm going to ask you questions. And then i'm also going to tell you kind of what i think and what i made of kyle shanahan's press conference on monday you know here's here's how i read into it and i'm not saying that that's the right way to read into it but based on my years of being around here's what jumped out at me i think that that's a valid observation and i'm co- more confident in that now and i'm training myself how to communicate my opinions as opposed to only asking people for theirs and then going to the next question and constantly interviewing like i think we're going in a direction where people want conversations a lot more. And that's also hard to do in a TV format because everyone is so tied to time. Like TV is timed out.
0: I was, that's literally, I was just going to ask you. is like, I feel like watching TV and listening to people, like I've talked about this all the time. I love good morning football. It's one of my, I watch every morning. Right. And I've been lucky enough to be able to sit and watch the show live. And um, it's so different. You watch Kyle's podcast, you watch, Schreger on a different show, you watch Nader, One K, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's so different because they ha- you have a minute 30 seconds. I was gonna say, is that the biggest challenge? Is okay, you we know, we talked about this off air, but okay, you're in, like you're interviewing George Kittle, and it's like you really want to get these five questions in, but time's clamping yes. down, but you really want to actually expand on this one question because that's really the one you want. But you need yep. to get these five in that. Is that the hardest part?
1: A hundred percent. Because the thing is, what happens is so I would do a talk back with an athlete on TV. And it would be, you know, in let's say it's in for four minutes, right? And I'm talking to George Kittle. Um, some people would. I don't know weigh why you
0: use George Kittle. I just he's awesome. Well, it's
1: a good. It. He's a great. He's a great interview. Holy moly, I could interview that guy every day. Um, but there are other people weighing in with what they think you should also ask. So it's not just a conversation. It's like bases you have to tap, right? Like, and then sometimes there's a sponsorship element that you have to hit. Or people who are like, you kind of ask, you have to ask. Well, that's a bad example in that situation because you would ask about the quarterback, but it's always like, well, the quarterback is what drives ratings. So let's ask about the quarterback, whether the quarterback is relevant right now or not. Let's just be like, what do you think about Kirk Cousins in Minnesota? Like, is that, you know, and get them to say something about the quarterback because that's sexy. So you have to maneuver all these different things and you have a short period of time to do it. So sometimes what happens is, the best stuff that happens in any interview as a general rule is what happens on a follow-up question. So they say something interesting. And then you go, what, you know, wh- what, do you mean by that? Or like just something as simple as that, and then get them to expound upon that. And now they're off their talking point and now you're having a conversation and it's inevitably going to be more interesting to listen to for a viewer because you're not being fed something that doesn't feel organic and so to get off of the talking points and into the conversation is very hard to do if you have a very limited window in which to do it and you have a lot of other things that you have to accomplish in this time frame. So that's one of the best things I think about podcasts is um, that you just have the chance to, the freedom to go, if I have eight follow-up questions about the thing that you just said, I can ask all eight of them. I don't have to ask, I mean- Maybe I'd still have to ask a sponsorship question, depending on who the, you know, if it's an athlete and they're, they're selling something or whatever, but like, I'm not dealing in this very small timed out window. In TV, you literally will go to break and have a producer say, we're 20 seconds heavy. I'm going to have to cut that story in the, the D block. And you're like, you know what I mean? It's, it's literally it's seconds and everything is planned you know they have to cut video it's a visual medium so they've they've worked all day long to make sure that the video matches the things that you're going to talk about you can't just sit there and you could you could construct a whole show where you just sit there and talk right like that is a format that you could use but on a show like a total access or a sports center or an nfl live like those are all really carefully constructed like 20 second 20 second a minute and a half then you're going to do a 15 second bump and like it's all so carefully timed that it's a, it's a totally different job, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I just like, I'm thinking in my head, who are some of the people that, um, I won't make you name just one. You can name obviously multiple people, but I'll do two part one, some people that are the most fun interviews. Um, you know, maybe like some players, they the be current or former players and B the most, the, maybe not the most fun to work with, but the easiest to work with and have good chemistry on um, maybe an NFL total access or NFL last That that like a co-worker bouncing off a segment for it's,
1: time. It's so different. Like it's it really is. And it's not just hard to name one because of politics. It's hard to name one because- people are great in different ways. So it's like, what does the situation call for? You know, like I love Daniel Jeremiah because if you have a draft question, you could call on him and he would know it. Like he would know all of the different layers. You could go in whatever direction you wanted to go in and feel confident that he was fully prepared to go down whatever road you wanted to go down. And then also could do it with a wink in his voice and a very like strong sense of likability. And like, so the personality is there, the energy is there, the content is there. That's the perfect package. That's what you want across the board. Sometimes though, like uh, y- you just want varying degrees of things that people are good at. Like James Jones is so good at just bringing an energy shot to the whole thing, right? And I loved working with him because it's impossible not to smile when you're working with him. And then that subtly makes everything you do better because now you're just having fun and you're just really liking being in your present space. So before he even opens his mouth from a content evaluation standpoint, he's making the show better by being so likable. Like he's just so genuinely like, just makes you smile being around him. He's like a, a hug of a person, right? So there are just different things that different people bring to the table that can elevate your game in different ways. And I think that that's always what I really like um, in, in terms of somebody to work with is like, is it easier or harder to be my best me around this person when I'm working with this person? You know, and so- um, just, it's like a full circle Sam Darnold thing,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. It's a full, just, Sam we, Darnold. Is it, it easier or
1: harder Darnold. to be my best me? <laughs> always Let him be his best Darnold. him.
0: No, it's interesting that you mentioned that. There's people that I think, um, I know, I know we talked about this too, but like there's certain people that the energy they bring, the personality they are, and if their content matches that, like it's just so fun yes. to either watch or talk with and people I've talked with or obviously even worked with, but even like a Michael Irvin, like for example, To me, like he just the amount of energy and the passion with everything that they're doing, even if you don't agree, you're like, they care. And then if people care and they want to be there, it's so obvious, at least from when you watch something on TV specifically, they want to be there. It's just so refreshing to be like, oh, I know it's the 11th hour of NFL total access and there's nothing happening in the middle of May, but like you're bringing your A game and like it's like hard not to respect it.
1: Yeah. I am a big content nerd and everybody consumes television different, right? Like, so you could be like, um, you could prioritize personality. You could prioritize, like in a perfect world, it's all of the things, right? Somebody, like, I think Dan Orlovsky is a perfect studio analyst. I think he's perfect. I, I told, I've told him, I've told, when I worked at NFL network, I told people there. So I feel comfortable saying it. I think that NFL network letting espn sign him was one of the biggest mistakes that the network's ever made and i think sometimes that happens if you're not a hall of famer when you retire there are some people that don't know what to make of it like oh it's not a big enough name and i'm not saying that's what happened in nfl network i'm not privy to those Even conversations Dan
0: mentions every time he says something is literally him running out of the back of the engine if he didn't yeah. play in the nfl for 11 years like as, if, well, and as if
1: as if let's let's say in a scenario that him being a backup for as long uh, like for him being in the NFL as long as he was uh, isn't a projection already that he's pretty good and a lot better than a lot of you people at home with all of these thoughts but let's say he was just awful let's say he w- was the worst football player that has ever played like what do we know about Bill Belichick's like playing career like do you care if he was like you know, all everything in high school. Like we don't care cause he's good at his job, right? Like coaching. If you're good at evaluating, you cannot be the best player and still know what it takes to be the best player. Like you just might physically not be able to make it all come together. Some maybe your hand eye coordination, isn't like, you're like, my brain is telling me this, but I can't do it. You know, like, but that doesn't mean you don't know. So that I've never thought that you had to be the best player to be the best
0: analyst. And that. I,
1: and I actually sometimes thinks it's, it's a hindrance because a lot of times people roll out with their gold jackets and they think that's it. I'm here. And a Dan Orlovsky knows that his name is not enough to keep, get him a job. So he's really doing the work and he's fine tuning. Like, what do I bring to the table? What's my value add? And then he's, he's done a great job of like honing in on that. And he has energy. He has expertise. He has an ability to show me something that I didn't see already. And I think that that's a skill too, to be able to go. I see something that I know 95% of our audience doesn't see without me showing them what it is. And I can make them smarter and then they enjoy that. Like I enjoy that. I am the type of consumer who wants to walk away feeling like I've, in an entertaining fashion, just gotten smarter, right? Like, so now I can go have a conversation with my friends and I, I like, I can puff out my chest and be like, yeah, but did you know such and such? Like that, I think that's how a lot of us are, right? We want to be yeah. armed with more information. And the people who do that the best are the people that I gravitate towards.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. You look at some of the best managers in baseball, the best head coaches in football and soccer and, and baseball and basketball, whatever. a lot of backup point guards. It's a lot of backup midfielders. It's a lot of, uh, backup catchers. It's a lot of backup quarterbacks because they're watching so much more film because their ability is probably not matching how smart they had would have to be to, um, you know, be in that situation. But, you know, I just, it's interesting to hear the different types of perspective of working with people versus what you observe on TV and, or what you observe in a podcast, things like that. But, um, you know, in terms of Okay, so we'll kind of start to you know finish up here, but um, somebody that you maybe wish you could have worked with, or you know, or could have on the podcast potentially, and you know, all that stuff, but mm-hmm. you wish you could have worked with on TV and NFL Network that you're like, man, I really wish I could have had done a segment on X, Y, and Z.
1: Well, you mean like with like a coworker that I didn't, get yeah, a to work you could have done. Me so aside like, from like, Orlovsky, yeah, who I only got a chance to work with once and was devastated. Um, <laughs> I. I love like Lewis Riddick is somebody who I uh, would have loved to have been in a room with and just been able to like pick his brain more frequently. I think that he's really smart um, and is always able to kind of redirect my attention to a way, to something that I haven't already been thinking. Um, <sighs> I mean, like on, on a broadcast, Tony Romo is somebody that I would love to be around to observe how, how he works and, and be in the same space as him. And I've never had a chance to do anything but interview him. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there, there are tons of people that I would like to have on the podcast that I haven't yet. Um, just like I said like I'm and it doesn't even have to be like really massive famous names you know what I mean I'm dying to get Mike Mayock on the podcast that's going to happen by the way after the draft so um he's promised and I'm going to make him do that just because I think that that's it's a layered conversation that I think is so interesting but um but there are you know I just I like learning you know I like having conversations that I feel like are fruitful and make me feel smarter and So anybody that is in a position to do that, that is an expert, like I, I love the people at PFF. I think that PFF is doing something that's so interesting in terms of adding a different perspective to the football conversations, the way that we've had them for years. You know, we've had just conversations that are more entertainment driven with a little bit of examples and anecdotes and stuff like that. The fact that we can now add analytical data that conversation and sometimes the analytical data points us in a different direction than we would go by just trusting our eyeballs i think that that's so interesting and it doesn't mean that that's the right area to go but it's an interesting layer to the conversation so that it makes the conversation a little bit you know uh more interesting to me so there are a ton of people yeah i was gonna say
0: the other one <clears throat> that I was thinking of Mina Kahn's. I feel like her. Oh, yeah. Her, you know, well, I had
1: Mina on the show. Oh, did you? Okay. I would have well, loved, we, loved to have worked. Definitely
0: check that out, guys.
1: Well, I would have loved to have had a, a chance to work with Mina on a more regular basis um because I think she's awesome in all of the ways, right? Like authenticity, content, like she brings. Uh, she, she does a lot of the analytics and stuff. She, that's like kind of the prism through which she looks at things. And so I think that her voice is, is a welcomed one in the football analytics and analysis. Oh my God. Analytics and analysis anyway um, in that space. So yeah. And she was one that I really, really wanted to get on the podcast primarily because I'd never had a chance. I'd met her in passing really quickly one day at NFL network, she'd kind of come through And, um, but I never had a chance to do more than just like say hi to her and meet her really quickly, shake her hand in a hallway. So, um, so I loved getting a chance to know her and then talk to her about her path too, because her path, like I said, in terms of getting comfortable with having an opinion, that's been a process for me, for her to be a female analyst where like, People are literally asking her for her opinion on TV, and she's not just interjecting it after she asks a question and someone else gives it as a host, which can be complicated. <laughs> like, I'm going to fit my opinion in here, too, even though you're not asking. Um, I think it's it's interesting that she's carving out this new space for women in the business and I really enjoyed my conversation with her. So yes, check it out. NFL Roadshow, wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> I say,
0: so everyone checks that out, but I guess we'll finish up with this two part, but it's kind of easy. A, person you looked up to the most um, that you want made you want to get into football. I know you mentioned Hannah Storm before. Yeah. So if that's the answer, then sorry, I just spoiled it. And then B, uh, favorite USC athlete, either that you covered and, you know, mm. like, from that, from those, that time was the best. Or it could be you know somebody else. I yeah. I'll think of my Keyshawn's the reason I played football. So really? that, Reggie Bush. Yeah, I got a Jets picture when I was four years old. Keyshawn playing receiver. It was going to the 1998 season. It's literally sitting, sitting right here. It's pretty cool. Okay, I got this picture when I was literally four years old. Worn like wanted to play receiver. I played receiver. USC was my favorite team. Whole nine yards.
1: He tapped all the bases for tapped you.
0: everything. Yeah. Guest, by the way, on the podcast. If anyone wants to, you know, anyone knows Keyshawn, make sure you introduce me. Um, but and then a person I wanted to be like was probably, I guess that makes sense. So, for you, favorite USC <coughs> athlete, and then, hmm. um, person you looked up to the most that you know made you get to, helped you get to where you are.
1: Okay. Well, I'm gonna start with the person that I looked up to the most, or like, um. not helped me get where I am but in terms of like her personally I didn't have a relationship with her until very much later in my life but uh but yes Hannah Storm was the person for me that I think was the best like that role model like I I believe in the whole if you see it you can be it and that you need to see like representation matters in a ton of different ways but for me the ways in which her representation mattered for me was her sitting at a desk and like owning that space and owning the conversation and not because she was beautiful though she was beautiful it was clearly like she's there because she is good and the way she controlled the conversation with the guys it didn't feel like there was no tokenism involved there it felt like she was just like she just owned that space you know and I loved that that I was drawn to that I was like that is what I want to be um And that's like a whole therapy session about me, right? Like in terms of why specific things appeal to specific people. But I loved the whole notion at the time of like, people don't think you can do it, you know? And people were always- Um, when I would talk to them about sports, there were a bunch of guys that I went to school with. They'd be like, whoa, I never, I didn't think you would know that much. How do you know that? Like it was more shocking than it is now to have a female sitting there and like talking about, you know, the angels bullpen with you in math class, that kind of stuff. And I loved that. I loved the fact that it was like, you don't think I can do this. Well, I am absolutely going to do it now. Like that's a big part of my personality. So I loved that she didn't really fit like the mold kind of, uh, that she sort of created a new one for me in my head. And so I think that was very important for me to see at that stage when I was deciding on a career path, because it helped me, whether whether I was able to specifically label it at the time, I knew subconsciously that I wanted the career because I wanted one like that. So it helped me make choices along the way that was like, well, will that help me get there? No. So I'm not going to do that. You know? And so I made specific choices that I think helped me get to a point where then I was sitting at a desk and controlling conversations in the same way that she was. Um, and, and I think that was really beneficial for me. So that played a big role in my professional development as for USC athletes. I could never, I could never, There's too many. There's too many that I've, I had great relationships with that. There are so many, I I will say that one of my observations from having covering covered USC for a long time was that, um, as an interviewer, as somebody who had to go get like post game one-on-ones and stuff, I was really tapped into very early on that the best ones were not the big names, right? Like you would go get, and it, this was not the the fault of the big names, right? The Reggie Bushes and the Matt Linerts were awesome, but they were so professional in terms of their approach, right? Like they'd been interviewed so much that they knew exactly what to say and what not to say. And it was just boring. So that's like, you're not really ever getting like the real stuff out of, at least in, in the case of me and in that time, never there. So I'd go, I'd get a, I'd get a Matt Leinert And I'd get a Reggie Bush, and then I'd go get a Lindell White, who was amazing. I mean, he would just tell you exactly the way it It was. Incredible.
0: gives great content.
1: With all of the energy and all of the swagger and all of the like, that team didn't think they said this about us during the week. I love that, right? I ate that up. I was like, that's exactly what they're actually saying in the locker room. So it gives you a peek behind the curtain in a way that like a very buttoned up saying the right things never would. Um, The offensive linemen are always the best interviews too. Because um, they have to be keyed into all the aspects of the game, and they know what's going on. The center is, is, uh, is, like the catcher in in baseball. You know, they know everything that's happening in the game, and they're very smart. And in the case of like a Ryan Khalil, he's incredibly funny. So Ryan Khalil was always a favorite. He did that,
0: didn't he do that segment with Will Ferrell? I feel like yes. they did a segment. Yeah, yeah.
1: They did several segments with Will Ferrell back in those days, but yes, he did that one leading up to the draft. That was some somewhat brilliant, but, but he's killing it too. In his post playing stuff. He's like, you know, running like a movie business and making TV shows and stuff. He's, he's awesome. And I, yeah, I'm a big fan.
0: Yeah. Now the other guys that came to mind, like Brian Cushing was just like an mm-hmm. absolute. I mean, I don't even know how to describe Troy
1: Polamalu.
0: Troy Polamalu. Sanchez was the other guy I was going to say. It's just like yeah. Sanchez is like vibrant dude.
1: I covered Sanchez movie. when he was in high school. And so Sanchez and his dad—it was always like the two of them because he was so young, right? Like so, gets uh, west. What? Yeah. Well, gets west. Yeah. So that that was fun. But yeah, Troy Polamalu was actually one of my favorite people that I ever covered ever. Like when I was at USC, he was one of the first people that I interviewed when I was just transitioning into working at Fox Sports West and covering the team. And I did a feature on him and he talked about how he'd whittled a hope chest for his future wife. Like at the time it was a girlfriend, but he was just like, you know, someday I'm going to get married and I have this hope chest that I made. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> he's just,
0: he's you know, like, just annihilating people on Saturdays. Right, Exactly.
1: The dichotomy of being so mild mannered and just sweet just sweet and kind and quiet and then like he goes out on the field he should blowing fools up like i i love me some troy polamalu yeah
0: we could, i'm sure we could talk about usc all day but um <laughs> obviously we appreciate you having you know coming on the show um make sure you check out nfl road show like we mentioned obviously check out the Mina Khan's episode but there's a lot of good episodes yeah. i think Diane have and a couple of people on maybe it was yeah. last week um and you know, i listened to the beginning of that i have to finish that one and then Um, there's just a lot of great content. And I think you're going to get good content, but also just a different perspective on things. Um, And I think people, you know, obviously very much enjoy it.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. This has been fun. Well,